Hello and welcome to the Health Advocate podcast. My name is Chris Burke and I'm the Strategic Programs Director at the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association. I'm speaking from Ngunnawal country in Canberra and I acknowledge the elders past, present and future. Today I'm joined by Dr Paul Price, Director of the St Vincent's Health Network Emergency Department in Sydney and uh, Ewan Mann, Scott Daly, Manager of the Aboriginal Health Unit at St Vincent's. And we're going to talk about how St Vincent's is improving health outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients. Gentlemen, how long has there been a problem in the delivery of care for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients at the St Vincent's Emergency Department? Uh, we've been aware for some years. Uh, we weren't really sort of aware of the magnitude of the problem until we took a bit of a deep dive into it, but clearly we, we had issues. And there had been a lot of work done to try and uh, improve things, but this time we decided we would be much more uh, thoughtful about how we approached it, and we tried a number of things uh, before we finally settled on our solutions. Uh, we had a lot of great people contributing, so it was a very broad project. We really did this uh, full on going to do something and we were very determined to get everybody involved. Thank you, Paul Price. And what about you, Scott? Yeah, look, uh, I've only been in hospital five years and our director's been here 10 and we've both identified that this has been a problem whilst we've been here. So I suppose to put an objective measure on it, it's been a problem for, for, greater, than, for greater than 10 years um, uh, that we're well aware of. Uh, thank you, Scott. And Scott, what reasons do you think have been identified that uh, account for this particular issue? Yeah, well, look, yearly, usually around February, we get, we get dashboard data from New South Wales Health, which kind of identifies how we're going against our peers, where we're sitting on averages. So it kind of holds us accountable for, for what we're doing. Um, and year after year, uh, it has shown that our incomplete treatment in the emergency department is way off. Uh, it was way above the state average. Um, it was a way above our other peers, even with peer hospitals having the same number of presentations as what we were, their treatment rates were much better than what ours was. So uh, the main reasons I think that has made us look at this change was just the data that was coming through from New South Wales Health and the accountability that was put to us. So Paul, as director of the emergency department, how did it it make you feel when you saw that data about how your hospital was performing compared to others? Yeah, that's a very difficult thing for, for us because we were running a service, we thought, which was uh, geared to providing the best care for everybody. And we had patients with very significant needs and we just couldn't seem to match. We couldn't link. And we, we eventually decided that we were gonna need to do a lot of different things, but a key, uh, area for us was the idea of flexibility. We wanted to make that join because uh, for many years we've been trying to make everybody fit into the one system and that lack of flexibility was really a key issue for us. So we, we uh, I mean, we were very grateful that we had such good buy-in from so many people. Uh, this is a project that involved a lot of people across the board uh, and it really couldn't have been done unless there was a a really strong commitment from all of those people. So th this was actually the spark for the idea of the Indigenous Flexi Clinic? Yeah, so there were many things that were done. Uh, there were, uh, and Scott, I think, is much better place to go through some of those, particularly 
some of the training we did for our staff to improve their awareness and improve their uh, ability to provide care. That was really important. Uh, we did quite a lot of work with the physical environment and we did some uh, improvements to the way we met patients. The idea that we had health workers, Aboriginal health workers, who could be available meeting patients as, as they arrived. And then the final piece in that really was my contribution, which is trying to get my staff to adopt this idea of a flexi-clinic where we could offer a range of options. We could see patients quickly and then we could move through the department to find the right place to deliver care. We could offer the choice of continuing care or patients could leave and come back and just pick up where they'd left off. We involved a lot of different staff in not just showing them how the system would work, but explaining to them why it mattered, why this was really important, why, what was the true sort of ethical basis of what we were doing. And, and I think that was very key because we had such good buy-in. You know, we needed everybody to be part of this. And by approaching it that way, by showing that this was an important thing to do, that this was an ethical thing to do, that was really key for us. And Scott, what was your perspective of this change? Oh, look, it was an amazing change. Uh, you know, before this all started, my clinical area was the ED. And I, I remember talking to many people before we started this project. And it was the, the main problem I had was finding out that the patient was actually here. Um, I really struggled in that aspect. We, you know, we had a system down in ED that was different to what we had on the wards. Um, and the registration of a patient and the transition of that name to another system would sometimes be debated just how, you know, it could have been just um, how busy we were. Um, and that was, that was something that was a, that was a big issue um, because the patient would come and they would leave uh, and no Aboriginal health worker was able to get down there because we just wouldn't know. So, you know, like Paul said, there was, there was multiple things that we did and we looked at uh, that kind of sparked the change. Um, and I think we've integrated them all really well into one kind of streamlined system that, that, that seems to be really working. Well, this is a great story, uh, Scott and Paul. This has been a change process, which at any place is really hard to achieve. Uh, and you've done it in a hospital as well. I'm sure there was some resistance, Paul. Could you just talk us through how you managed that? Yeah, that that's actually quite interesting because uh, we began with really good staff. They do a good job. They really worked very hard. They wanted to get this right. We began with patients who clearly had needs and often had few choices. They didn't have the luxury of being able to go to somewhere else or to make other arrangements. We were really their best option. Uh, so we, we were in that position. And I think the, the thing that made this work so well was that people wanted to do it. The vast majority of people, as soon as we outlined, this is what we want to do, this is how we want to do it, they were on board. We didn't need to sell this. All we needed to do was explain what we were doing. Uh, there was a group, I suppose, there always will be a group who were unsure. They were unclear what the problem really was. Uh, and it didn't take very much to get them talking, to get them involved and to get them on board. The smallest group by far were the group who thought, you know, we don't really understand why we need to do this. If patients leave, it's their fault. And that kind of blame the patient thing, that had to stop. And, and I think that was a very small number of people. But 
there were two things we did when we focused on that group. The first thing was we explained the true ethics behind what we were doing. And there are issues with justice, with access, there are issues with even the virtue of being a good service. And for us, there was a couple of other additional things. Uh, there's a, there's a, a broad range of things that an emergency department does. And if you can identify one area where you're just not doing well, you've got to pay attention to that. And by improving that, you improve the whole service. So we actually had uh, a long period of not just demonstrating what we wanted to do and training people and bringing in this change, but also of discussion, of talking to people and of getting a uh, dialogue going so that they understood why we were doing it. And I think that really made a big difference. There's a little bit of follow-up that we've been doing, uh, which is interesting because there, there was an argument that by focusing on providing something a little bit different for one group, you might detract from care for other groups. And uh, interestingly, that's just not the case. Uh, the other patients that we see weren't disadvantaged. By doing something a little bit different for a specific group, the overall population that we serve weren't disadvantaged at all. In fact, if anything, the improved efficiency made the whole system better. So that's actually quite interesting because there, there would be some people who would say, you know, why would you focus on one area and not just give the same service for everybody? And, and our discussion really was around, well, everybody needs something different. If patients require an interpreter, we get an interpreter. If patients require a mental health nurse, we get a mental health nurse. If patients have flexibility issues, we try and accommodate those. Mm -hmm. So what we were doing really was being inclusive and being a little bit more thoughtful about what it was that we were delivering. And uh, with any change process, you also need higher management support within your within your hospital. How did you manage that? Uh, well, I'm sure Scott's got some something to say on this. From my side, clearly I had not just support from the executive, I had a mandate. Uh, I had a number of areas that I was trying to make change because I'd only taken over as director not so long ago. And um, executive said, you've got something to look at here. You know, we've got to do something different. Those numbers look terrible to us. And they were terrible. Uh, so I, I had not just support, but I had a mandate to do something about it. Uh, and, and I think that makes a difference. Now, of course, Scott had Pauline and a number of other things that were to be factored into this. But you certainly need that drive. You need that um, push from above to make things happen. Perhaps you could tell us a bit more about that, Scott. Yeah, look, uh, as CEO, our executive team were all behind this. We, you know, we, we sat in a meeting, I think it would have been in early 2019, and um, there, was, there was one solution, and that's fix the problem. Um, and, and that's what we set out to do. And I, um, I don't think we had any options. It, it, not when you, you know, it's not all about the data, and we don't just focus on the data. It's about, you know, also the satisfaction of the patient. But when you do look at the numbers and you're sitting double above everyone else, then we were clearly doing something wrong. And, um, and I think that by looking at the numbers, trying to reduce the numbers, then we've actually, you know, improved the satisfaction of the patient and the service that we provide. So, yeah, look, there was definitely a push and we had support 110% to do what needed to be done. 
to improve um, an issue that had been long-standing and that was going to be beneficial for the community, our Aboriginal community. And I, and I think that that was uh, a big reason why the change had to occur, why it was supported, and, and why we felt that what dis whatever decisions that we made on, on Paul's side or on my side uh, with the Aboriginal Health Unit, of course, and the project team uh, was well supported. How did you get the Aboriginal community involved in, in pushing for this change? Yeah, look, that was, that was, quite, uh, that was quite a challenge. Uh, one of the things that had come out of this was that um, the ethical issues in the beginning, um, and we were closely aligned with the ACI, the Agency of Clinical Innovation, and uh, they gave us uh, some steps to kind of follow by, you know, a diagnostic phase, um, a solution phase, implementation, sustainability, all that kind of, all those kind of things. And because it was such an issue that needed to be fixed immediately, um, going through an ethics process would, would have delayed us quite significantly. So we looked more towards a quality improvement project in, in the fastest way possible to fix this problem. Um, the community was kind of consulted as they kind of presented um, we, you know, provided them some solutions in the beginning to try and identify this is kind of what it looked like and this is kind of what it looks like now and getting their feedback on that was quite important. Um, and I can confidently say that, you know, there was probably no patients that I had witnessed that had something negative to say about what we look like now compared to what we did look like. So, and that was, you know, that was quite advantageous. So maybe you could just talk us through what this new patient experience looks like. So patients arrive now and if they identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients, then immediately the, there is a consultant, a senior doctor made aware that we have a flexi-clinic patient in the department. And at the same time, we have an Aboriginal health worker made aware. And we see that patient as soon as possible. And I do mean within a very short time. So our waiting time for the patients had gone from uh, quite significant waits, up to an hour, sometimes longer, often still within the benchmarks that are generally given for seeing patients, but they were long periods to wait. Uh, our, our waiting times went down to 15 minutes, 13 minutes. They were really uh, seen very promptly. And the next step was really important. They were met by Aboriginal Health. They were made to feel welcome. They were made to feel comfortable. Explanations were provided about what this process is like, what they could expect, who would be seeing them, what would actually happen. The doctors would come and they would start a dialogue, work out what was going on, try to make arrangements that suited the patient. So if the arrangement was, look, we'll take a test now, you come back, we'll talk about the result, we'll make arrangements for some treatment to start. You can have that treatment here, you can go to our outpatients, you can do this with your GP, it's okay. If you need to go while we're doing all this, we give you a card. We had a card made up called our Dalaringi card. And on that was a very brief summary of what was going on. And if the patient had to go, and people have things they need to do, they got this card, which had a quick summary. They would go, and when they came back, they just showed the card and literally would pick up where they left off. And that sort of a flexible approach when it was possible was really well received. And it was well received, not just by the patients, I have to say, the staff, this was great. Because they had patients who weren't 
cranky because they've been waiting. They weren't constantly leaving and coming back and having to go through all the steps all over again. The system immediately started to show some benefit and that's that kind of positive feedback. I got great feedback from the staff. As soon as they started doing this, the doctors, the nurses, they thought, you know, we're doing something worthwhile and it's kind of working. It's working for everybody. I think the best thing to do is give you a bit of a, a scenario of how it has worked. Um, we had a patient during COVID come in um, with a toothache. Uh, they were picked up straight away. Uh, the doctor did their screen, worked out there was a, a tooth abscess. Um, and that patient identified immediately that they had to go and visit their grandfather at a nursing home. And as you know, during COVID nursing home hours, you only had that small restriction in the beginning. So if you missed it, then it was unlucky. So they had made it quite clear they needed to get there to see the grandfather. So radiology really stepped on board. We were able to um, really process if there was something urgent, then they would prioritize the scan. The doctor identified that the, the, the patient needed an x-ray. Uh, we took them around there. We did what we needed to do, had the x-ray, the patient got the, uh, the, the doctor got the antibiotics ready. We met back at the same spot within five minutes patient had the antibiotics and we said look we want you to come back just to have a look at the um, x-ray and see if there's anything else that come back with your blood uh, so the patient went off sent the grandfather for the hour to come back after an hour and we just the bloods were ready the x-ray report was done we had, didn't have to make any changes but it was just better if they came back and we just went through everything and the patient was happy so that's kind of what it looks like now um, you know and I think the big thing that Paul had mentioned is that we actually know that the patient is there and, and that is important. Um, in the beginning, uh, pre all this, like I said before, we didn't know that the patient was there. The question was asked, but who knew the patient was there? Aboriginal Health didn't know, none of the doctors knew. Now we know and that is um, one of the big things that is better for the Aboriginal Health uh, patient because Aboriginal Health just runs straight down there now. We see it meet the patient, uh, if they haven't yet been seen by the doctor, we make the patient feel comfortable. Do you need anything to eat? Do you need anything to drink? Is there anything that we can do? And sometimes, honestly, it's about, look, can, I, can we have a chat outside? And they want to go across to the park and have a chat. It's more than happy to go and have a chat. And it's that level of uh, safety that the patient feels with us to tell us something that they might not feel comfortable telling to the doctor. And they might say, look, can you tell the doctor on my behalf when we go in? And I say, not a problem. We can do that. Let's head back in. We go and get the flexi doctor and we have that discussion in a safe space. Uh, and often it's it's not in front of other patients. It's, you know, it might be in a little corner. It might be in a room. It's wherever that patient feels that level of safety. And um, as Paul said, with all that, with everything that he talked about, you know, it's spot on. And we have really molded that around what the patient feels is safe. Um, and it's a, and it literally is a, a three-way discussion. It's Aboriginal health, it's the senior consultant, and it's the patient all driving for one outcome, and that is to make sure that the patient feels safe, understands what is going on, and that they leave this hospital knowing what the next steps are. And it's great that uh, this has really worked on changing that power imbalance between uh, your staff and patients. But by providing that level of flexibility. Uh, have you undertaken any other changes to shift that power imbalance? To a large extent, we've said to the patients, we want to work around you. And, and I think there was always, um, 
we always had an issue with structure. We have to see a lot of patients. 50,000 people come through the door every year. So most of our systems are designed to manage large numbers of people as well as they can be managed. And most of that revolves around having structure and systems that will be uh, effective for the broader group. But clearly it just wasn't working. It certainly wasn't working for Aboriginal patients. We had a very high number of people coming in just not completing treatment. They'd either leave before they we even started or they'd leave during the process and, and often wouldn't come back or would come back later and have to start all over again. So what we did was we said to patients, we, we're not going to expect you to change your entire way of thinking. We're not going to expect you to fit in here because it's just not going to work. It hasn't worked anywhere else. It hasn't worked here. What we're going to do is just uh, deliver a, a different kind of service that we think might work. And we followed up every patient we saw. We called them 48 hours later and saying, what did you think? You know, was it all right? Could we have done better? Were there things that you'd like to like us to do better. So there was a lot of intensive sort of case tracking and following up. We were trying very hard to listen to what patients had to say. And, you know, it was really interesting that we, we had well-intentioned staff, we had people with needs and we weren't connecting before just with these things. Cultural awareness training for our staff further improved how they were able to manage uh, Aboriginal patients. Aboriginal health workers being there right at the beginning and then a flexible approach to how we manage the patients uh, that really made a difference and we were seeing it right away and our numbers are really good now. I mean, there's always room to be better, but gee, they're, they're exactly, the trend has been down, people are coming, more patients are coming, they're getting their treatment. It's uncommon now for people to leave without getting the right treatment. So I think we've actually demonstrated that those, those sort of different areas all coming together can make a difference and it's a sustained difference. We've been monitoring this for a while, so it looks like it's here to stay. Well, it sounds like that you're um, managing a lot of things there that could assist you to deliver cultural safety for Aboriginal patients in your emergency department. Uh, and certainly that uh, asking people what they thought about the experience is just so important because ultimately at the end of the day, uh, it's Aboriginal patients and their families who'll be able to say whether they've had a culturally safe experience or not. So. Are you able to sort of sort of give us some ideas of what people have actually been saying, Scott? Yeah, yeah, sure. Look, um, I suppose that the, the main thing that has been kind of discussed is a is a level of understanding, um, and that that is the importance that they feel understood. Um, you know, I often have discussions with patients, and they say, you know, people just don't understand. Aboriginal see Aboriginal people see hospitals as a place where you go and die not a place where you go and seek help, you know, and people don't understand that. There's a, there is a level of anxiety that, you know, surrounds certain patients around coming to a hospital and seeking help. Um, so it is that they're, they're always happy that they, they can be, that option of being in and out so quickly makes them feel so much at ease. Um, is that, you know, then going to allow us to deal with chronic issues more acutely? Well, I think time will tell, but um, I think, there is constant discussion around being understood, um, being being supported culturally by having Aboriginal health worker there because we know that they're there. Uh, they are the two main points that we kind of are continually hearing from the patients. Thank you. Um, and probably just to finish off, 
Paul. Um, what sort of things can other emergency departments learn from your experience at St Vincent's? I think there are a lot of people across the country who uh, have looked at this and want to do things to make uh, things better. Uh, what I'd like to offer is uh, obviously our model, our data, and we're publishing that shortly in, in an academic journal. And also our experience, our advice is there are many things that can be done, but a coordinated approach, listening to the patients, involving Aboriginal health early, uh, getting a sort of cons consensus and a unified approach, it, it really makes a difference. It doesn't adversely affect other patients. And, and you can get great outcomes and they can be sustained. So I think just presenting the model and being open with what we've done, showing how it's worked and, and showing how the patients have perceived this with our follow-up, I'm very encouraged because we've had so many people talking to us about this that there might be other centres that do maybe not exactly the same, but they take on the same idea, flexibility, adapting to the patients and basically saying, hey, we work for you. If we're delivering something that isn't right, we'll change. And if we change and we need to keep changing, let us know because we work for you. And any last words there from you, Scott, on this topic? No, look, I, I just think it has worked uh, worked well. And, and if there's anything, you know, project I've been a part of that um, has, you know, listened to what the patient needs, then, then this is it. And um, I think if, and just to add on to Paul's comments, if anyone is going to implement, you know, something similar or the same thing, then, you know, it, it's listening to what the patient needs ultimately. And it's having multiple people on the same page uh, heading in the same direction uh, and, and that's to achieve what, whatever the goal is it might be something different but if it's for incomplete treatment then everyone has to be on that same page and clearly understand what they're trying to achieve. Well thank you uh, Paul Price and Scott Daly from uh, St Vincent's Hospital. If you enjoyed this podcast consider supporting the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association by following us on SoundCloud or subscribing on your podcast app. To keep up to date with AHA's work, follow us on Twitter at, at OzHealthcare and visit our website at awha.asn.au.